Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. All right. So we're going to dive back in this week, and I don't know about you, but this whole journey of this messaging on family has been pretty adventurous. It's also been uniquely different than the norm, uh, because oftentimes whenever we do a sermon series, we'll map it out in advance and decide on the titles, and uh, we'll decide who's speaking and kind of what direction we want to go, and we'll start with the end in mind and say, this is what we want people doing after all of these sermons are finished. We want them to be uh, living their life like this. Then we'll know the sermon series was successful. With this sermon series, we actually have no idea um, where it's going to land or how you're supposed to live after it's finished. I just want you to be more connected to God and more connected to each other in family. I also want you to be more connected with your family. Somebody said amen. With your wife, with your husband, with your kids, with your friends, with your covenant community, and with this Church, somebody say amen again. Amen. That's encouraging. So we're back to talking about family. And you would think after a decade, I would have this message fully figured out. You would think that. I don't, okay? The Holy Spirit began to speak to us about family and proclaiming family almost 10 years ago. I was up this morning. I'd finished my war plan. For those of you guys who have participated in that this weekend, thank you so much. That was awesome. And, I'm, and I'm, I'm talking to the Lord, and I'm like, God, why don't I know more about family? You know, I'm just complaining, basically, you know. I'm like, I feel like I should know more. But I recognize that family, it's just a lifelong journey. It's not really something you get like that, you know, and it's like all of a sudden you have this download. If you have that, that's awesome. But it's something that we have to walk out within a particular context that involves other people. You guys remember that message I gave on, on, on Psalm 68, that God sets the solitary in family, right? So the only thing that can cut a diamond is another diamond, and Tim is here. So thank you for that, Pastor Tim. He gave me those sermon notes. So we grade on each other. Nobody elbow the person sitting next to you. Like, we, we, we cut on each other a little bit. We, we sand and grind on each other a little bit. And as a result of that abrasion, we come forth more perfected within the context of this relational community that we call not just a church, not just a ministry, but a family. You guys remember that, right? We're not just a ministry. We are a family. That's right. So what is a family? I, I thought I would do a little research this week on what a family is. And as I thought about family, I was like, okay, a family is a mom. It's a dad. It's two and a half kids and a dog, uh, preferably a golden doodle, because they make for the best Instagram pictures. Right? Like, that's kind of what we see as our picture of family today. It's like, this is a family. It's a mom and a dad and, and, and three kids, and, or, or, or a boy and a girl, and then you got a golden doodle or, or, a lab or a lab or something like that, you know, whatever the popular dogs are right now. What are the popular dogs? Am I missing one? Pugs? They are popular right now. Why? I don't know. I love it. You guys love your dogs. I love that. Somebody shouted no, like they don't love dogs. But this picture that we have of family is what we call a nuclear family. Everybody say nuclear. Now, if you look it up on Google, uh, Google will tell you that, that a nuclear family is a couple and their dependent children. So we as Christians, we, we teach and we read the scripture and we recognize that a nuclear family is a man, a woman within the context of a covenant marriage with their dependent kids. Okay, so that's a nuclear family and a church oftentimes starts out as a nuclear family, if you will. There, there's a mom and a dad, or at least there's at least, you know, one mom or one dad. And then after some time, there is people getting saved people getting discipled, right? So there is intimacy unto fruitfulness. 
there, there is new life that takes place in the church. They have some kids, and then you have a nuclear family. But over time, the church expands. Amen? Amen. There's more intimacy, and there's more fruitfulness. It's the first commission that God gave to our first parents. Be fruitful and multiply. Take dominion and subdue the earth. Right? Expand. The Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, right? We have the Great Commission. And so the nuclear family has to expand beyond just one mom, one dad, and two and a half kids. What you end up having is you have kids that grow up, and those kids have kids, and then the nuclear family becomes an extended family. Everybody say extended family. And that is a better picture of what the local church is supposed to be. It's not just one mom and one dad and two and a half kids. It's a bunch of moms and a bunch of dads and aunties and uncles and cousins and nieces and nephews and brothers and sisters and weird uncles. Like, that's what happens. As the church begins to grow, it becomes like an extended family. And this is a really good picture of the church because if we are multiplying, not just maintaining, we're going to have kids that will one day have kids. And then we'll be surrounded by grandparents and parents and aunties and uncles. And I just think God loves that. I think God loves extended families. I mean, he loves nuclear families as well. But I recognize that extended families are really where it's at, you guys. I'm going to be honest with you. Allison and I live within the context of an extended family. Last year, we renovated a house, and we all moved in together. Me, Allison, our two kids at the time, and Grandmommy and G-Daddy. And you guys, you guys know Carl's G-Daddy. Plays bass. You guys know Grandmommy. That's Lila. And we all live together. And it's so funny when I tell people that, particularly strangers. They look so bewildered. They're like, you do What? And I'm like, yeah. And they're, they, they're like, you must be poor. Like, you know, it's like, like, they, like that's kind of what they think. You know, they just don't get it. They're like, oh, you're fully dependent upon them. to. Care. And I'm like, no, 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 it's not that. It's preferred. See, when, when, it, when it's healthy, it, it's preferred. Right? And, and so for us, we did it intentionally because we all love each other. And now I would never really want to go back. I'll be honest, like there's so many blessings and so many benefits to living within the context of an extended family because I may have a problem that's too big for me, but it's never too big for the family. There's always somebody I can connect to that can help me with the solution. And even if they don't know the answer, they'll lay hands on me and pray for me. It, it, it's fine when it is healthy. Amen? So the church is intended by God to become a family that has kids that have kids that have kids. It's generational, right? I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right? It's generational. It becomes an extended family. And to live within the context of that covenant community is supposed to be a radical blessing, and it will be so long as it is healthy. Everybody say healthy. So if we, if we do this right, we're going to have a healthy covenant community with a lot of moms and dads. And in order to have moms and dads in this environment, we have to have a value, not just for development, but also empowerment. I'm going to say it again. We have to have a value, not just for development. Yes, we're going to love you into your purpose, and we're going to help you grow, and we're going to point you uh, towards the Word of God, and we're going to prophesy over you. Uh, but we don't just want you to grow and develop. We also want to empower you so, you so that you can step into your inheritance completely and walk in the promises and purposes of God over your life and, and share the unique gift that you are to the family and make disciples that make disciples that make disciples and become a, a mom and a dad. Amen? I, I know this may seem just a little bit like, yeah, that's not my season. I'm not called to that. I'm not supposed to be a parent in the spirit. Listen, you are called to make disciples. So that means that you are called to pour into somebody. That means that you are called to parent somebody in the spirit. To pass along the inheritance of everything you've received from God, from your leaders, and pass it along to the next generation so that they can walk in a double portion of what's on your life. Heidi always says it like this, so that my ceiling can become your floor. But unfortunately, we're not seeing too many people walk in double portions. 
It's because we have a self-made generation. We have a lot of people who get a lot of value out of being self-made. I don't want to rely on anybody. I don't need anybody's help. I'm fine all by myself. Thank you very much. I got this. But when you take on a spirit of such great independence, what you end up doing is forsaking inheritance. It's the opposite of sonship. It's actually the orphan spirit in operation in our churches. And so we're asking each generation to press the reset button. When actually the glory of God, the anointing of heaven is supposed to so consistently, exponentially multiply from generation to generation that there's an advance of the kingdom of God throughout nations of the earth until this place looks more like heaven with every kid that we have. This is the design of God, which is why he said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He doesn't just work through individuals. He works through families. And this is God's desire. He initiates things through individuals, but it's always for the greater purpose of humanity and the greater purpose of your community. Is, is, this, is this helping at all or is it too much of a reminder? So it's a lot of reminders. So we've got to detox from coming to church. In order for this to work and to function in our lives, we've got to detox from coming to church and we have to lean into becoming the church and recognizing that each and every one of us have a personal responsibility to become a parent to somebody in the spirit and to pass along the spiritual DNA that has been shared with us. Jesus said, hey, it's, it's so much more blessed to give than it is to receive. You think you're having fun being a Christian, making your faith all about you? Wait until you start passing it off. Wait until you start passing it along. Wait until you start laying hands on people and baptizing people in your bathtub. Wait until you start prophesying over people at your school. Wait until you start sharing your faith, sharing the gospel. It will become so much more fun. Like the people who are Christians and bored don't evangelize ever. I've just learned that. I'm like, I just realized like unless you, unless you share it, you don't end up getting anything fresh. Right? You're like a clogged toilet. Or, I don't know, a, like a dam, right? You got all this stuff coming in, nothing's flowing out, so nothing's fresh. Yeah. Things get stale after a while, and all you do is just regurgitate old information, and you don't see any transformation in anybody's life around you. And eventually, you're like, I'm just going to stop coming to church. It's not working. Don't say it's not working if you're not obedient. People are like, man, it was so awesome what God did in the altar on Sunday. Don't you remember Ezekiel's vision? It said that water flowed from the temple. And the further he got from the temple, the more the water increased. That's an image of the anointing. You think you are your most powerful in church, but that's not actually the truth. You will experience the most power the further you get from the temple because the increase of the anointing will be present and you will see so much light break forth into darkness if you'll just step out. I'm telling you, it's the truth. And this is where we go, this is where we go looking for God's lost kids. And then we bring them back to the church because that's where we come home. We do this big, you know, family reunion thing every Sunday. I mean, that's the way that I see church. It's like a family reunion. That's the way I see church. It's like, it's like the best Thanksgiving celebration we've ever had. Just we all, all the different families and all the different disciples and everybody comes and they come back home. Right? And, and, and we enjoy our fellowship. So... I think this, this, this value that we have, not just for development, but also empowerment, this value that we have is something that we're going to read about in the Corinthian church. Uh, and that's what I want to do today is read an entire chapter of the Bible. Yeah. OMG. We're reading a whole chapter. This is too much. First Corinthians chapter 12. I want to read about spiritual gifts. Listen, there is other uh, portions of scripture that talk about the unique gifts that we're called to carry. This is about our spiritual gifts. You can also look in Romans chapter 12 and read about the redemptive gifts. But one of the reasons why I'm reading this is because I want you to grab hold of this truth that you have a unique and special gifting that only you can carry. And we need you to come be a part of this church community so what you're called to carry can come forth. We need your gift. We need what you carry. We need your anointing or else it's incomplete. 
Like if you're not singing, the harmony's off. Can you say it like that? If you're not singing, the harmony's off. And even if you can't sing, we still need your voice. Maybe you can play an instrument. It might be a kazoo, but we're into it. Like just the triangle, something. I don't know. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says this. Now concerning spiritual gift, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever said Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. That means all of us have giftings, but it all comes from the same place. Yeah. And there are varieties of services, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Are you catching what Paul is saying here? We all have something to do, but it all comes from the same place. Somebody say grace. Grace. Verse 7, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. This is the gift of wisdom, and this is the gift of knowledge. Um, the, just real quick, like the gift of knowledge is about something that is present past. The gift of wisdom is usually something that is present future. All right. So just an easy way to remember that. Verse eight, uh, verse nine, excuse me, to another faith by the same spirit. You guys, there's some people in here that have great faith. Like you're like, I'm sick. And then you like, you have to like get in the way or they're going to tackle you. You know what I'm saying? They're like, we're about to see a miracle right now. You guys know those people. So sometimes they're annoying. It's like, God, can we just eat at Applebee's, all right? Like, we don't have to hunt the lady down on crutches in the, in the parking lot. You know, like, we don't, all right? No, we do. We, <laughs> we should. <laughs> right, I know. Applebee's is awesome. Uh, verse 10. To another, the working of miracles. That means some people are going to flow in unusual miracles. You want them to pray for you. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. That's called the discerning of spirits. Everybody say the discerning of spirits. It's not the gift of suspicion. Why well, just feel by the spirit? No. To another, various kinds of tongues. <laughs> I, I love when people preface, I just feel like, I feel by the spirit. It's like, you're about to give me a good opinion. No, thanks. It's okay. Um, Various kinds of tongues, right? So there are different kinds of tongues in the Bible. I, I really don't have time to break all this down. I wish I did. I wanted, like you said, what does that mean? Oh, I'm just so tempted. Um, there's different kinds of tongues throughout the scripture. You have the tongues of men. You have the tongues of angels. You have tongues that can be interpreted. You have tongues that cannot. We'll do another lesson on that another time. To another, the interpretation of tongues. How many, have you ever been in a service before where there was a message in tongues and interpretation in tongues? No? We should practice that here. Um, probably not on a Sunday though. People would kind of be freaked out. Uh, verse 11, all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions, apportions, interesting word, to each one individually as he wills. I mean, God, you know, God gives measures of grace for certain ministries, which means there are things, man, you're going to be so much better than me at. And unless I honor that out of you, I'm not going to get to receive that from you. Right? Like, I, I'm, I might not be super good at, like, you know, interpreting tongues. But if you are and I can honor you and receive from you, I can get real good at interpreting yeah, tongues. That's so good. Wow. Yep. Awesome. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. We got a whole chapter to read. We got to hurry up. For just as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are all baptized into one body, both Jews and Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would, that would not make it any less a part of the body. Are you guys getting that right there? So the, I know it may sound like some kind of interesting language, but you may think, well, I don't belong here because I don't sing good. No, Paul says that's a lie. How about this? I don't belong here because I'm not cool enough. Can we please stop saying that? Yeah. Dear God. No one's checking your Insta followers at the door, okay? Calm down. 
Verse 16, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chooses. And if all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the foot, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. Okay, let me read verse 22 again. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. This is what the Lord says. Right? We think about, oh, this person doesn't have a lot to offer. Oh, they're just a kid. They can't tithe yet. Right? Verse 23. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. Now, if you're having um, a wedding soon, Tavia and Sandy, what's up? Congratulations. Um, you're going to hear... 1 Corinthians chapter 13, right? And that's what, Paul, that's what Paul is getting to as he's talking about all these giftings. He's like, uh, here's what all of you can do. You're all awesome. And even if you're not awesome, you get double honor. You get more honor. You get more covering. You get more. You see what Paul's doing here? He's letting every single person know that even if you think you're dispensable, you're actually indispensable and more important. Paul is ascribing value to every person. Of course, at the end of uh, 12, he gets into the fivefold a little bit, which we'll read about in Ephesians chapter 4 at another time. Um, but the point that I really want to highlight through 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is that we all have something to bring from the family. Amen? So this family would be super awesome to be a part of, the family of Corinth. I don't know if you guys have ever read anything about Corinth, but this was a pretty awesome church. If you think about it, the Apostle Paul, who had the equivalent of three PhDs and pretty much evangelized like half the planet, planted the church. Who doesn't want the Apostle Paul to be their pastor? I mean, it'd be pretty awesome, right? And then sometime later, there is another guy whose name is Apollos, and he comes and enriches the church with his teaching. Some people believe he actually wrote the book of Hebrews. I mean, this dude was pretty awesome. Pretty awesome guy. And then a little bit later, guess who else comes through? None other than The Rock. Not Dwayne Johnson, the Apostle Peter. Right? He comes through, and then he's teaching. This would have been an amazing church to be a part of. Would you guys agree? It's pretty awesome, right? So it sounds like a really empowering church. Like Paul's like, you got gifts. You got, I mean, he's like Oprah. You got gifts. You're getting gifts. You're getting gifts. You know, he's like, you got tongues. You got wisdom. You got knowledge. We got miracles. We got dead raisings. We got prophecies. I mean, our meetings are so turned up. Every Sunday's a revival. I mean, it's like, and then it's like a whole city gets saved. You know, the whole city of Corinth, like they're flipping this city upside down. It's pretty amazing, right? But if you, can, if, you, if you read through Corinthians, like really read through it, you recognize that Corinthians is much less of a good model and it's way more of a, a, a sour mess. It's a hot mess. Like read through Corinthians. Like that church is an absolute mess. There are factions. People are literally arguing over who they follow. They're saying, I follow Paul. And this guy over here is like, why well, follow Apollos? And this guy's like, why well, follow Peter? And then there's other people like, why well, follow Jesus? They're literally fighting over who they're going to follow, right? Not only are there factions, but they're also fornicators. There's people sleeping with their mother-in-laws. They're a bunch of carnal charismatics, like they're all about the gifts. And so there's these egotistical exhibitions of the gifts where people are prophesying. And Paul's like, stop speaking in tongues. Like you guys are so indecent and out of order. Like we can't even like, 
have an actual meeting because you guys keep trying to show off how gifted you are. Right, that's what that is. So despite all of the giftedness, despite all of the empowerment, despite all of the awesomeness in the pews, this church was filled with disunity, with dysfunction, and with disorder. And the primary reason for this is because they were having an identity crisis, which is absolutely possible to be a part of a super awesome, empowered environment and be having an identity crisis. Identity theft is the greatest crime in the world today. You know why? Because it's the greatest crime in the spirit. And, and people sometimes struggle uh, for who they actually are. And so what we do as Christians so often is that we find identity in two things, just like the church of Corinth. Number one is who we follow. Well, I go to Hillsong. Well, I go to Bethel. Well, I go to Legacy. Well, I go to, you know, wherever. Or the pastor that we follow. Well, I follow Bill. Well, I follow Furtick. Well, I follow Chad Veach. You guys get what I'm saying? It got quiet, like I was like going somewhere with that. But like you guys, get, you guys get what I'm saying. It's like we literally pull identity from the preachers that we follow, and then we allow that to create our value for us. Well, I'm really awesome because I go to the coolest church. Or I'm really awesome because I follow the most popular preacher. Without any, taking any personal responsibility for your own faith, for your own development, for your own discipleship, to fulfill the Great Commission, to disciple other people, to advance the kingdom of the earth in this generation. It's just like, hey, I just go to the coolest church, so therefore, I'm good. That sounds a little bit like what was happening in Corinth, and you know what that is? That's an identity crisis. Also, on the, you know, on the other side of the coin, they were receiving value and identity from their gifting. So instead of having their value and identity based in Jesus Christ, they had all of their value and their identity based in their particular gift. They said, well, I work miracles. I'm the miracle working dude. Well, I prophesy. I'm the prophet, you know, chasing people down in the parking lot. I got a word for you. It's like, you're getting too much value out of this. (laughs) Anyways, okay. Um, You guys get what I'm saying? It's like, very much like an identity crisis. And so Paul, he actually, he actually writes to this environment and he says something in chapter four, verse 14 through 17. And uh, it's very interesting. And this is something I've been, you know, wanting to get to here for a little bit because I think it's very fascinating. I've been studying this for about a month. Verse 14, it says, I do not write these things to make you ashamed because he's correcting the Corinthians. He's like, you guys got all this mess going on. You need to get it fixed. Verse 14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, chapter 4, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, instructors, teachers, you guys have heard this before, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So I urge you then to be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, who is my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Because whenever he's dealing with a really awesome, very developed and empowered church as to what they need to do to restore their identity and come back into God's order and to come back into God's alignment, he's writing a letter correcting them and he's saying, hey, you guys are behaving not like a family, but like an orphanage. You guys are all, you're fighting over who you follow. You're getting your identity on the basis of what you have. And let me remind you, guys, listen, be imitators of me. I planted your church. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to send you another teacher. I'm not going to send you another itinerant. I'm going to send you a son. Because what God's building is not a conference. It's a covenant. And it's a church that functions and feels like a family. So let me send you my son and he's going to bring this thing back into right order so that we can function in the way that God has intended. You guys getting it? So he's like, this is what God's called you to do, but you don't have very many fathers. Now, I want you to understand that Paul is not on some ego trip. He's not trying to ascend to like some spiritual stardom by saying, hey, I'm your dad. You know, I planted this great church. He's not doing that because later on in chapter 15, he says, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. He's kind of like low key calling out Peter, though it was not I. 
but the grace that is with me, which I, I just think is pretty awesome. Paul's like, he's very self-aware. He's like, look, I'm not saying I'm your dad because I'm super awesome and really anointed and get all my identity from my position. I'm telling you, I am like, should not be an apostle, but I suffer like an apostle. And I've been given this authority by God, not man to do this. So therefore I'm giving you this info. This is what you need to do. You need to get more moms and dads in the environment. Is this working for you guys so far? So what Corinth had done is they had actually forgotten the family message. They had forgotten that they had been given a father to follow. So Paul sends his son. He sends Timothy. And all throughout Scripture, you will see that this is God's order. It is always from father to son. I'll probably get into a little bit of trouble with this because it's going to go against the grain of our culture really, really strong. But this is always God's order. Any, you look throughout the Scripture, it's always from father to son. It's always, from, it's always from moms and dads to sons and daughters. I'm not trying to leave out women, okay? It's always from moms and dads to sons and daughters. That's why we see John the Baptist, uh, prophes- uh, the prophecy about John the Baptist was that he was going to come in the spirit and the power of Elisha. Excuse me, Elijah, right? He's going to come in the spirit of the power of Elijah, Malachi chapter 4, verse 6. And what's going to be the result of his ministry? He's going to turn the father's hearts to the sons and the son's hearts to the fathers. He says, look, I'm going to send a prophet who's going to trailblaze for the Messiah. And here's going to be the result of his ministry, family. And then whenever Jesus comes, he's like, listen, guys, Elijah has come. It was John the Baptist, if you can't accept it. Why did he choose the spirit and the power of Elijah? Because Elijah was the only one in the Old Testament to pass along a double portion to a son that was not his blood. So he was establishing a prototype for what would take place when the Holy Spirit was given and family would would become again the context in which the kingdom was advanced. And so every generation there'd be more, more inherit. That's what we call inheritance, more. You you guys get, you guys getting this? So this has always been the model. It's always been the model uh, throughout the Bible. And so what Corinth is teaching us is that when churches cast aside moms and dads, the ministry is actually out of God's order. When you don't have parents, you don't have family, you have an orphanage. That's what what happens. And what happens in an orphanage? I can actually tell you. You know why? Because I lived in one for like five years with 300 kids. And can I tell you, it's disorder. It's straight up disorder. Like they're pooping in the floor. They're escaping at night. They're refusing to eat their food. This kid's hiding food. They're fighting. That's what happens. I I lived in that in India. And what happens in an orphanage is this, two things. It's lack. It's a lack of order and it's a lack of identity. To make, it, to make it more like, I guess, modern is like when you see a church, a church body or a ministry that lacks both order and identity, you can almost guarantee there's no moms and dads empowered or at least no moms and dads recognized and received. You guys get what I'm saying here? How many of you guys have heard this message before and you're like, I got it, Lyle. This is great. How many of you guys are like, this is brand new. You're like, whoa, this is totally new. Okay. All right. Awesome. Awesome. As I was preparing, I was really praying. I was like, Lord, help, you know, because we need help here. And I'm going to go over 1020 because we ain't got YouTube on today. So you're going to have to deal with that. Um, but it won't be that long. Okay, so don't get, don't get anxious. Without moms and dads, specifically fathers, here's what a family doesn't have. And we know that this is true socially. A family has no name. It has no identity. It has no heritage. It has no inheritance. And it has no true siblings. When you don't have moms and dads, it's you have no name, no identity, no heritage, no inheritance, and no true siblings. Kelly, I'm glad you came. Just stay right there. Don't play yet because I don't want them to think I'm closing. I'm going to wait just a little bit longer. (laughs) And here's what I know about orphanages. Orphanages can be packed to the brim full of special, gifted, dynamic, charismatic, empowered people. But unless there are parents, there's dysfunction and disorder. Like we can all be like super gifted, super talented, super anointed, super developed. We can all like be prophesying, raising the dead and working miracles. But unless we have spiritual parents, we'll have disorder and we'll have disunity. We'll have dysfunction. So we need spiritual parents. And I, w- I want to preface this by saying this is not an appeal for you guys to all be like, you're my spiritual dad. 
All right. We need a plethora of spiritual dads. Like we need a plethora of spiritual moms. It, they can't just be one spiritual dad for this community. That's actually impossible. There are 400 people that were going to church here before, you know, the whole COVID thing. And it, I don't even know that it's, I mean, I don't even know it's biblically possible for one person to really pastor 100 people. I don't think it's possible. I mean, Jesus like did it really, really well. And he is God with three people. Did it really well with 11, right? If you think you're failing as a discipler, just remember that Jesus had a disciple that was demonized. And he's Jesus. And you should think, you should remember that. Like the next time you're like, man, I could do this if I just had a perfect team. Well, same, right? Like, I mean, God didn't even give Jesus a perfect team. What makes you think he's going to give you a perfect team? Like, it's just not the way it works because he wants you guys to grind on each other and cut on each other as iron sharpens iron. Because that's, that's a family, not a franchise. It's, it's, it's family. And there's a reason why family language is not incredibly popular in churches. And I can tell you why. Because it doesn't grow great, great churches. I mean, it truly, it doesn't. No one wants to stop for the, for the dispensable member. It's what Paul said, that people don't want to do that. It's like, oh, no, you're dispensable. I'm just going to ignore you. I don't have any interest in helping you. No, it's fine. Just please leave. Like, I don't think you guys are like, no, that doesn't happen. No, it happens. Yeah. All right? That's why Paul is making such an appeal. Like, I used this example before. How, how long does it take you to get to Disney World? Well, it takes you as long to get there in accordance to how the youngest member of the family is doing. I'm not going to get to Disney from here in our minivan, which we just bought. I'm a real adult now. Any quicker than Rua wants us to, our newborn. Because we're going to have to stop to feed her. We're going to stop to change her, her diaper. We're going to have to stop at rest stops to get her out, move her around. And so when the whole thing is about you know, destination and, and destiny and, and seizing the day and everything's about our goals and our ambitions. You know what we do? We end up just alienating uh, the weakest link from the family because we're not actually really a family anymore. We're just a, a group of corporate people, you know, pursuing a deadline for the quarter. Is, is this help at all or is it too much church? Because I know sometimes people are like, I don't want to talk about church. Just tell me how to do a better life. And I get that, all right? But listen, you're the church. You're going to spend a lot of your time in church. You need to know about church. It's actually super helpful. And un the reason why it's not popular is because we've actually rejected family relational dependence for the most part in the Western church, and we've exchanged it for modern business practices and, and good management. Thank you, Mary Pat. It it's true. Like, you're not going to see any time in the Bible where it's like, and then the COO made the decision to, I mean, and nothing against that. I'm not, I'm not trashing anybody. And then the CEO and then the CFO and then the, and then the board member over here decided to vote no to that decision. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not against anything church. Okay. So I am against some things that we call church, but like, I'm not, I don't have any problems with the church. You guys get what I'm saying? Like they, we've exchanged that family dependence and we've said, no, no, we're just going to do business because that's going to get us there quicker and it's going to grow a church bigger. How many of you guys have heard this quote? It's from Dr. Richard Halverson. It said, in the beginning, the church was a fellowship of men and women centering on the living Christ. And then the church moved to Greece where it became a philosophy. And then it moved to Rome where it became an institution. Next, it moved to Europe where it became a culture. And finally, it moved to America where it became a business. And then I read this in a Patheos blog. It said, and then a friend said, and then it came to Nashville and became a chart position. Dang, that should like, yeah, that should move our hearts. So we have to reject lack and return to the family order of the kingdom. If not, then non-biblical relationships will continue to produce a non-biblical generation. And that's, and, that's, and that's what we'll have. 
Uh, we're called to be children. If we base the church uh, solely on the best business practices, you know what we'll build? We'll build a big church. We will. If we, if we just use business strategies, you know what, guys? We can probably build a big church. But you know what we won't have? A true, authentic kingdom experience. You know, so we won't have any deliverance of the demonic and of spiritual oppression and of addiction and generational curses and people actually getting free from the inside out versus just coming to church and their Sunday best. Like, yeah, that's, we would have had a good church service. I checked in and like I put my kids in kids' church and I'm doing what moral people do and it's awesome. But I don't actually read the Bible. I never pray. I have no clue what God is speaking to me and I'm on the brink of divorce. But then I roll up in the church parking lot on Sunday like, oh, praise the Lord, brother. You guys with me? We don't want to build that, right? We have plenty of mega churches, but unfortunately we have yet to produce the mega impact of the 120 in the upper room. There's a, you see, there's a reason, like, there's a reason for this. And I think a big reason is because we actually need moms and dads. And whenever I say moms and dads, it's not just having, having, um, it's not just having one person, you know, give you information that you haven't heard before. It's about, it's about there being an impartation of them marking your spirit and then you carrying their spirit in a way that whenever you share, people are like, oh, your mom is, your dad is, because they're seeing an increase upon your life that they've recognized on somebody else's and that you've marked their spirit. It's one of the best ways I know how to describe impartation. You know, one of my favorite compliments ever is when I go to preach at a conference and somebody says, you remind me of Heidi. And I'm like, oh, oh, man, that is a dream. Like, thank you for saying that. That just blesses me. I'm like, oh, thank you. That, you know, that's my mom. I don't always agree with her, but I honor her. You know, and um, it's, it's interesting. If you read Isaiah chapter three, which I'm not going to do, but if I had time, I would read it today and I don't, but Isaiah chapter three, if you, if you read through it, one of the interesting things, just read it. Emily's like, just read it. I don't know if everybody wants me to read it. I won't read it. It's homework. Read it at home. But I want you to recognize what immaturity is rewarded by. When the people, of, read Isaiah three, when the people of God refuse to mature, here's what God gives them in exchange. Immature leaders. Okay, so the people of, people of Israel, they refused to walk in God's ways. They refused to submit to God's commands and they refused maturity. And so as a result of their refusal of maturity, then God removed excellence from the feet of leadership in Israel. And they were judged, their immaturity was judged by God allowing immature leaders to lead them. It's a, it's a, very, it's a very interesting thing is because people, and I don't know how to say this, and it's, I'm, I'm, I'm processing it as I go, but I just, I, I recognize that immature people tend to gravitate towards immature leaders. And it's not just so that they can do what they want, but part of it is the result of their refusal to mature. Because you guys have heard this statement before, we kind of end up with the leaders that we, you know, deserve in a sense. A lot of people talk about that. You guys heard that before? Well, here's what's interesting is that... Um, Whenever Paul said you have 10,000 teachers, but you don't have many fathers, I actually looked up that word in the Greek of like, what does he mean by teachers? Because teachers are pretty awesome. I love teachers. I love instructors. But you know what the word actually means in the Greek? You have not many, you, you says you have a lot of teachers. You don't have many fathers. You know what this word teachers mean? It means you have many boy leaders. That's what it means. You have a bunch of immature leaders, but you don't have a, a lot of fathers. And here's what that word boy leader actually means. Culturally, it was a hired servant whose official position was to ensure that the kids went to school. That was the position. So whenever Paul's like, you don't have a bunch of fathers, you have a bunch of hired servants that are like teenage boys whose official responsibility is to make sure that you get educated on time. If that doesn't describe some of what we call church. 
just make sure you clock in for Sunday school. Let me just make sure you get your three points on your index card and leave out. Let me just... No, the Lord's like, there's so much more for us. There's so much more available uh, to us. And we're literally reaching billions of people all over the world with great information. But unless we uncover God's heart for spiritual relationships, information is all we'll pass on as an inheritance. Information is not going to shake the nations. Inform we need it, but information is not going to transform the world. We we're missing double portions of exponential power because we've settled for motivation instead of impartation. We've said, you know what? No, I'm just going to go to church on YouTube. I don't need a local church. I don't need a spiritual mom. I don't need a spiritual dad. I don't need a pastor. I don't need a discipler. It's just going to be me and it's going to be my podcast app. And, and I'm going to get motivated to live for Jesus. If you're going to fulfill your purpose and walk in the double portion and walk fully in what God wants you to walk in, that's not enough. Yeah. Inspiration is not enough. You need impartation, a marking of your spirit by spiritual moms and dads so that you can carry more yeah. and walk in more. So is this making sense to you guys? Yes. Okay. So... Corinth obviously had plenty of instruction and influence, but they just didn't have many fathers. And guys, what we're going to pray, and we're going to close now, is that we need a renewal of the Spirit, but we also need a renewal of God's relational patterns for ministry. It's not about franchising the church. It's, it's, about, it's about family being extended. It's about being familial, a passing on. So when we find God's order, we'll find identity and purpose in the kingdom of God. And that is what sons and daughters possess, identity and purpose. Right? So let's just stand. I want to pray with you guys. I understand that today was probably a little bit different of a message than you probably came expecting to hear. But even just like with you guys raising your hand, saying, I've never heard anything about this before. I heard a lot about this growing up as a kid and... It was good about half the time. And I don't mean it was good preaching. I mean that it was applied well. Because it's so easy when you start talking about family and you start talking about moms and dads. So many of us have so many different experiences in family. And so unless we have a united understanding of what God's definition of family is, then we'll come in here and try to apply the model that we recognized growing up in our house. And I know a lot of you guys had great parents. Some of you guys don't know your parents. Some of you guys had... You know, not so great parents, but, so, but we have God as our father. And so we have to be looking at him. We have to look at the father. We have to look at the son. We have to look at the Holy Spirit and identify the relational patterns of how it is that we're supposed to do covenant community because we need it. We need each other. Amen? Amen. Amen. So I just want us to pray. I don't have three points for you today. We're just going to pray and to finish. Four points, actually. Rick knows I do four points. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I know. I'm not, no, I'm not going back on those, that four-point model. That's a, that's a model. I'm religious about it. Just kidding. Um, so I just, I, if you guys don't mind, I just want to pray over you guys who are like, yeah, I'm, I'm called to be a mom and a dad in, in, in the spirit. I'm called to, to, to impart truth. I'm called to disciple, and that's everybody. Lord, I just pray that you would wake up that calling in us, that even if it's somebody, if we're 16, it's somebody who's 13. If we're, if we're 50, it could be somebody who's 60. It doesn't necessarily mean that they have to be younger than you, but it's somebody that God has graced you to impart to. Who has God put in your world who who's, is not yet where you are perhaps, or maybe they have been in the past and they've fallen away. Who has God put in your world to impart and to bless? So Lord, we just take on this responsibility in Jesus' name. I also want to ask you to identify who in your world has God placed to bless you. And I want you to consider who is walking in something that you long to walk in or you feel like your purpose is also to walk in that. Like, is there anybody who is functioning in gifts that you're passionate about, that you love? That could potentially be um, a spiritual parent for you. It might be a coach. It might be a mentor. It might be a pastor, but it could also be a parent, somebody that you want to carry their spirit. So Lord, I just ask that you would show those places, 
Show us who those people are. Give us their names. Give us their faces. Remind us that we have access to them, Lord. And let us come and honor those people and to receive from them so that we can truly experience a double portion of your anointing in our generation. And, and lastly, guys, I just want you to pray uh, for two other things. One of which is just let's just pray for our house. If you guys don't mind, just for a minute, Lord, we pray for legacy. Lord, we ask that this would not be a business. We don't want this to be a franchise, Lord. We want this to be a family. We want to use a biblical model for what church is. We're not trying to invent it. We're not trying to make sure that it fits the generational desires of what people say that they want. Lord, we're just wanting it to be biblical and we're wanting it to be kingdom. We're wanting it to be an accurate reflection of the kingdom of Jesus within the 21st century. We're not trying to get back to some model. We're not trying to adopt some outdated philosophy, Lord. We just want what you want. And so we pray over legacy right now, Lord, and we say that you consistently shake everything that can be shaken so that we can emerge as a more holistic, healthy family in Jesus' name. And if I can be somewhat, um, you know, just ask you for a favor maybe is that you would pray for Allison and I um, you know we understand that there can be so many moms and dads uh, as a part of an extended family but we also know that there's there's head of households and we know we take this seriously this responsibility that we have to be a mom and a dad to this community and so Lord we just ask even in our age you know, I'm 35 Allison's 30 like some days I wish we were 70 I'm like, man, it'd be so much easier. People would believe us then, you know. But, Lord, I just, I ask God, I don't despise the day of small beginnings, and I, I don't despise our youth. That's something you've taught us not to do in the Word. And so, Lord, we just ask you, whatever grace you have for us in this season, we just want to say we receive it. We're not trying to pretend to be something that we're not. Lord, make us like Paul to say, hey, I'm just graced. And let us rely strictly on grace. That's what I ask today, God, that we would just rely strictly on grace, that we wouldn't try to adopt models from other people or pastors or leaders, despite how great they might be, just the grace that you've given us and the grace that you've given this family, Lord. Bless everybody here. Bless those watching on IGTV. Bless everybody that's a part of church today and that's a part of legacy in general, Lord, to be spiritual parents, identify spiritual parents, and to turn and transform this church into a greater kingdom family. In Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said amen. 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 Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.